Welcome to another edition of Market Impact Insights, your podcast source for business leadership perspectives to help your business grow. Hear from experts in marketing, sales, business strategy, and more with practical advice for business success. Make sure you won't miss the latest episodes by visiting marketimpactnow.com. Now, here's your host, Dan Albaum. Welcome back, everyone, to another amazing episode of Market Impact Insights. Today, we're going to focus on the intersection of technology and people. And I don't need to tell you that we are in a era of continuous innovation. Technology impacts everything we do. And just some data points that just show the staggering pace and rate of technology adoption globally. 1.35 million tech startups around the world. Think about that for a minute. The number of smart devices that are collecting, analyzing, sharing data are expected to hit 50 billion by 2030. The computing and processing capacity of computers continues to grow very rapidly. In fact, it hits double figures every 18 months. The world has produced 90% of its big data just in the past two years alone. And every second, 127 new devices are connected to the internet. So bottom line is technology is pervasive. We have a growing number of organizations that are either developing technology, they're leveraging technology, but we know that the effectiveness and the impact of technology still comes back to how people embrace and can maximize the potential of the technology. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that with Steve Reisner, who's the Chief Innovation Officer for Lyft. That's L-I-F-T. And Steve is responsible for new product and market development, OEM relationship management, and channel enablement at Lyft. And Lyft is a really interesting organization. Really, over the past seven years, Lyft has continually contributed to the development of the rapidly evolving customer success discipline. So, how do you achieve customer success in and around the utilization of technology? The Lyft team has trained 500 plus partner organizations and over 2,500 individuals and delivered customer success programs to more than 75 organizations globally. And when you boil it all down, Steve's organization is all about bridging the gap between the world's best technologies and people who use them. Now, Steve has an extensive business background, and prior to joining Lyft, spent several years at Cisco. We had the opportunity to work together there and has been in a number of different channel and sales leadership-related roles and really understands the technology side of things, but also how do we get processes and the people to really maximize that potential. So with all of that as backdrop from beautiful Sunny Southern California. Steve, welcome to Market Impact Insights. Thanks, Dan. It's great to get together with you again. And it's uh, it, it, it actually is sunny California because uh, we're going to hit the 80s again today. So it's kind of crazy to think it's Thanksgiving and uh, we've got beach weather. So uh, it is uh, very nice and uh, enjoying having uh, the kids coming home for uh, the holidays. So it's a great time. And uh, it is amazing given all of that's been going on with COVID that we get a chance to actually get together a little bit. So uh, excited for that. 
And I hope you have a fantastic holiday too with your family. Oh, looking forward to it very much. We won't be basking in 80 degree weather, but we're going to hunker down and we're going to eat well and we're going to get together and really looking forward to that. And, you know, you think about family, you think about holidays. I want to go back in terms of your history. uh, And I always like to start on a very personal level. And so much of what you're doing now is about bridging that gap. We talked about that between people and technology. What fueled your passion to bring those pieces together? What drove you to shift your professional focus into how people maximize the technology experience? Well, it, it's funny, Dan. It really has been uh, my entire career. Is actually, I, I remember back when I was 16, I was really trying to focus in on how do we leverage technology um, in a way to drive efficiency in business. And I just, you know, it was the beginning of personal computers. It was really starting to see new things coming out. It was something I always had passion for, but really didn't understand what that was and started off doing programming, but found that it was much, I'd be much quicker to help organizations if I was at the front end of the conversation versus trying to program something that somebody wanted. Um, and that's really where I ended up going into sales. It was an opportunity for me to go do that. But it was funny, my first job um, out of college was Wang Laboratories, which was great because, you know, funny enough, got a chance to work with John Chambers and everybody else before they went and started Cisco. Um, So it was just kind of weird how those paths crossed. But one of the things that I did during that time is I just wasn't able to understand what the whole sales process was. How do you change that? And so I pivoted really, really early in my career and went to work for the E&J Gallo Winery doing hotel restaurant sales for wine. And um, now it, it seems weird is that, you know, into that, you give me a wine spectator, you give me a PC magazine, and I always gravitated back to the technology first. And so I got back into the technology business and went to work for a reseller. And then um, right at, in 2000, joined Cisco because I could feel the changes going on in the market um, and spent 13 years at Cisco, which was fantastic. As you said, a number of different roles. It was funny. It wasn't until about two years ago, one of my partners, Dr. Uh, Jeff Kaplan, who's written four New York Times bestselling books, and uh, we actually just released a book last week for the whole franchise market. Um, he had asked me to spend some time to really reflect on my career and think back. And so I always thought that things that I did were disconnected. But what I found is my my, my the areas where I was really working with Cisco, what I was seeing is lots of opportunities that were being missed. That customers are buying routers, switches, deploying iOS, but they're only using 10% of the features. They weren't really leveraging that. And I actually pitched a couple of business plans inside Cisco, which actually didn't go very far um, and ended up leaving Cisco to do exactly what I had pitched, which was we need to go in and talk to customers. How do we help them adopt these features because that was really how you create a competitive advantage and also locked out your competition. I felt that Cisco could really learn by doing that. And if you did that, that made it very, very hard the competition to come in because you've already blanketed that. The funny thing was, that as I reflected back on that, what Jeff had asked me to do, I found out that that was actually what I did at Gallo. <laughs> and <laughs> What we'd had to do is I had to convince the owner of the restaurant to buy my wine, right? And but once they bought it, if the sale, if the the salespeople or the you know the servers didn't sell the wine, 
<clears throat> if the customers didn't drink the wine, then I didn't get to reorder. So I had to create programs about how do I get the wait staff to recommend this? How do I get them to pair it with food? How do I get to where we get the sell through? And by accelerating their wine sales, I got to sell more wine. Well, it's the same thing with software is that if we adopt it, we get them to do it, we go deeper and wider, we have a competitive advantage over our competition. And ultimately, the customer buys more software. But we got to start with what's the need, what are we trying to do, and how do we help them consume it that makes value to them? In a restaurant, it was ROI, right? They're making money. It's the same thing in business. How do I use this software to actually change my business? How do I use this to get competitive advantage? And if it's going well, I'm going to buy more. And that was the how it was funny to see that my entire career, even though it was different industries, was actually had finally all come together to where everything I'd been learning is really where we are today with Lyft. And it's been fascinating to see the entire tech business shift to that. So it's been, it's been really, really a lot of fun to see that. Now, the weird thing is, is this is totally natural to me. It's you know, it's, you know, unconsciously I, I do these things and I take it for granted because I think everybody else thinks that way. And what I've been finding is, is that it is a transition for other people. And so that's where we've been spending a lot of time is how do we enable customers? How do we enable channel partners? How do we enable OEMs to start to really think differently about this process and really help them that? And that's mm -hmm. been what's been fueling our growth and a chance for us to be on the Fortune 5000 fastest growing companies. Um, and as well as uh, here in Southern California, being on the top 10 list for LA as well as San Fernando Valley. So it's been really, really exciting to be right in kind of the eye of the storm early on in that process. So it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, speaking about being in the eye of the storm, so you're in this really high growth uh, opportunity, your organization, you mentioned the Inc. 5,000, also CIO review, naming Lyft one of the 20 most promising data analytics solution providers in 2021. So you're getting this recognition, you're growing uh, your client base, but I want to go back that experience you had in a really large, more corporate environment like Cisco. Are there some specific things, Steve, that you were able to take from that experience that's helping you be more successful in more of an entrepreneurial type of environment? Well, I think a couple of things is that the thing that was also very unique about Cisco, especially when I started in 2000, is that Cisco always felt of themselves as a startup. And so we are always able to try and test new things. You know, I think a lot of times in companies and organizations is that we stifle creativity of our people. We say, look, here's the job, go get the job done. Instead of saying, well, Here's the goal and here's the flexibility to help you achieve that goal. Try and fail. That's okay, but let's fail forward. Let's learn from those mistakes. And I think that was the one thing about Cisco is that we always were encouraging everyone to try new things. And it was also a very flat, non-hierarchical organization. I mean, yes, there were lots of layers, but, you know, I literally could pick up the phone and talk to John Chambers back in the early days. Um, I actually, one of my colleagues, you know, I had known him for a number of years and literally we talked to him once a, once a year. Um, and so there was always this accessibility and mm -hmm. yeah. it was always ability to be able to try new things. The second thing that I really learned was ability to 
to create a network and to collaborate with different people in different segments. I mean, that's how you and I met, Dan, yeah. is that, um, you know, we bumped into each other, you know, at an executive briefing working with a customer, but then we built a relationship and spent time and changed ideas back and forth. And frankly, I think we helped each other um, from that growth perspective. And the nice thing is we've stayed in touch all these years, even afterwards. And I've got tons of people on my LinkedIn that are executives in, you know, 50 or 60 different large tech, tech companies, but we still talk to each other. We still ping back and forth. And so I think that was the other thing is, is that, you know, Cisco was really big on building leaders and those leaders have gone on to do great things in the industry. Um, and that's, what's really fun is to see that this was really early on was really about how do we create thought leadership and drive things forward for the entire industry as well as the employees. And it was really amazing. So that, I think that was great. Um, and, and one last thing I would say too, is that again, the things that I learned from Cisco was the ability to, again, is that we're a flat organization. And, you know, as I created new business plans and new ideas, I took them to senior VPs and sat down with them and, and we pitched them and we talked about them. Not, not, they weren't always great, but they would listen and they would take the time. And I just think that was, um, an extremely unique scenario, especially we didn't have that at Wang, but you know, at Cisco it was really amazing to be able to have that. So it always felt like it was a smaller organization within this big company growing fast, but yet we, we didn't think we knew all the answers and we were looking and trying to, um, really innovate on a regular basis. So I, that's what I loved about Cisco. It was really fun that way. Yeah, you hit on some really important points there. And I think uh, being in the business unit side, the idea that you had this uh, customer focus and this collaboration, this um, engaging conversation with really intelligent people in a variety of different functions that was encouraged. And so that interactivity just breeds better ideas, better outcomes. Yeah, I mean, Steve, it, you know, you're so, so spot on around that one. And Obviously, you know, the last 18 months for all of us, we've been in this really disruptive environment. Uh, the world has just entirely changed as a result of the pandemic. But through that all, we know that people are still using technology, they're adopting technology. And I'm curious from your perspective, do you feel in, in our current situation, is technology adoption easier or is it harder? Or, and are there some examples maybe you could share about that dynamic? We, you know, it, it, it is interesting because, you know, it, at first, right, it, it depends, right? There's always that, you know, that patent answer. But, you know, it is, I think what we found is that we, we took, you know, we looked at trends and said, okay, look, what's going to happen? How are we going to go to like education and start to do more virtual school and things like that? And we mapped that out and said, okay, that's going to be a kind of 10 to 12 year process before we get to kind of like. 25% will start to be more virtual, right? And literally overnight, in, two, in a matter of two weeks, right, the entire world changed. We did what we anticipated was going to take 12 years, was done in two weeks. Um, and so I think that, you know, we got to the point where we had to do something. We're all desperate. And so we had to do some things and people tried to error. Now, 
Was it perfect? No, not in the least, right? But what we found is some people gravitated to that and said, look, I'm going to find new ways to change this experience and let's do things differently. Some people said, look, I'm just going to phone it in. I'm going to do what I need to do to get by. And others kind of threw up their hands, right? And we really look at it as we go back to where we see this, you know, as we get back to a new normal, we see there's really going to be three categories. We have those that are really the regressives, which are going to go back to what we did before. They're going to say, okay, this is over. We're just going to go back to what we did before. Um, Then we see those are latent progressives, which are going, okay, well, I'm going to go partway back, but I'm going to take some of the new learnings and I'm going to start to apply that and let's continue to test and figure it out. And then we have those are progressives just said, look, we're burning the boats and we're just moving forward, right? This is our new model. Off we go. I mean, if you look at it, you look at uh, Shopify and some of the others that are just been blowing up. Um, the reason being is, is that they're carrying these progressives that said, forget it. We're burning the boats. We're going forward. Mm-hmm. How yeah. do we really change that? Um, and that's where I, you know, I see some really amazing things. Now, does it make it easier? No. Um because I think what we're still looking at is people are still focused on kind of the field of dreams, right? If we build it, they'll come. And we also feel like there's this silver bullet. And so everyone's starting to go, okay, well, what's the next new tool? What's the next thing that's going to do this? And yes, we're using some of the tools, but we're going, that's not really solving the problem. Let's go on to the next one. If you look inside organizations, you'll find that were, they're probably over-licensed significantly from different applications, and they've got lots of competing applications overlap for the same user. So a user may have mm-hmm. yeah. Microsoft Teams and Zoom and Cisco WebEx, right? You're like, <laughs> okay, they can't use all three of them at the same time. I mean, how do we pick one? But what we got, what we missed was the fact is it's not the product that solves the problem. It's the process. It's how do we use it? It's adoption. So how do we think differently about what we're doing? And frankly, all three of those tools could work. And the same thing in security and some of the other things, a lot of the same tools overlap, all could do the job if we had the process right, if we had the teams and the collaboration right in terms of who's responsible instead of saying, hey, IT is responsible for security. I don't have to worry about it. No, no, no. We all have to worry about it. We all have to think about from a security perspective. It's not IT's job. IT is our safety net that if we make a mistake as a user or an employee, then they're hopefully will catch us. But it's not their responsibility to do everything. And I think we're starting to learn that, hey, wait a minute, this is an ecosystem, not a siloed approach. And we have to now collaborate a lot more. And so mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest thing that's come out of the pandemic is that groups are much more willing to actually work together to solve a common goal, which I don't think they necessarily were doing that before. They were actually a little more at odds with each yeah. other. Um, and I think that's I think that's really the biggest change we'll see long term. Yeah, that's really interesting. And this idea of the the over license, too much software, more is not necessarily better, right? I mean, it's just it's how you apply it, right? So uh, I've also heard you, Steve, talk about this concept of people-powered growth. Can you share a little bit more about that? 
Yeah, I mean, I think the thing we kind of hit on was that really what fuels an organization are the people. And how do we enable them to be successful? It, it does a couple of things, right? If we're growing our people and we're really focused on that, that's what's going to drive growth. It's going to keep them engaged and want to do more. We start to think about them from a flexibility perspective. Say, look, what do you need? And can we start to change space-time continuum? Um, because we did in the pandemic. Why can't we continue that? Why do we have to be so hardened to, okay, you've got to be in the office nine to five? Really? We were able to get stuff done without it at the pandemic. Why don't we continue to carry that? And really the people power growth is how do we enable them for success? How do we give them the tools and the processes? And how do we listen? And how do we continue to grow over time, right? This is, it should be a continuous process, right? We really look at kind of that agile approach is that you know, let's test things. Does it work and do sprints? If it doesn't, okay, throw it away. But what did we learn from that? And how do we move forward? It's that fail fast thing we talked about and fail forward. Um, that's where I think we start to see some things. And so our whole process is about, you know, people power growth is how do we enable them for success? And, you know, how do we look for people that are willing to win, that really want to make a difference? And I think if you look at what's been going on, with um, this whole you know, great resignation of people leaving companies, I think they don't feel like they've been empowered. And they're like, wait a minute, I want some place where I can actually make a difference and when people want to listen to what I want to do. And that's really, again, is people power growth. How do we focus on that? Now, AI is going to be huge, right? It's going to change things in what we're doing. But the fact of the matter is, is that really where I think the power of AI and the power of data is how do we put it in the hands of people that can really leverage it, right? Can AI come along somebody and help them be better and faster? Great, right? I don't think it replaces people in all categories. I mean, there's a couple of things, repetitive tasks we can, you know, we can replace, fine, but nobody wants that anyway. But where the thinking is, can I, can I come alongside and help? Can I use data? And the, you know, the deal with data is we've got so much of it but how do we make it prescriptive so I can look at it and go, oh, here's what I need to go do next. And here are the patterns. Oh, what do I need to do? And I think those, what people are looking for is the opportunity to really do that within their companies. And that's where I think there's massive upside opportunity. And so that's what we see as we keep telling everybody about people power growth is how we enable your people for success. Um, you know, I'll, I'll give you one other example we did um, with a university early on, right when the pandemic started, they were getting ready for orientation. And the way they always did it is it was a seven week process. Everybody came on site. They had um, 3000 students who come on site. They'd meet with their advisors. They would go then to, to a certain location on campus where they could get troubleshooting help around financial aid, their class schedule, books, all that stuff. You know, and they really had kind of a, a triage area for that. And it, and it worked well. They got really good high ratings and it was fantastic. And now everything's virtual. What do we do? And they're like, great, just help us host this. And we said, no, 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 wait a minute. Let's rethink this. You guys have an opportunity right now is not just to virtualize this experience, but how do we make this virtual experience better than 
the in-person experience. How do we think differently? We actually had a team, there were 32 people on the customer side, and we're working with them and doing thought leadership and spending the time and mapping out really the workflow of what this is going to look like. And we did everything virtually online, and it was unbelievable. And this is one we actually, we used WebEx for. Um, And we came back and our scores, they went from being a 4.2 out of 5 um, satisfaction with when they did it in person. And we moved to a 4.6. Wow. And so we got this massive uptick in this great experience. And that was the students, right? But then the funny thing was all the advisors said, this is so much better because I could keep to a schedule. If if I had a student that was having trouble, I can immediately connect them with somebody that could solve that problem on the fly. I can share that information and they wouldn't have to start over from scratch. And what they found is they actually retained 20% more of their students than all of the other universities in their category. It resulted, it was like almost $2 million in addition tuition revenue for them because they created an engaging experience that made the students feel comfortable and wanted to participate, you know, in, in 2020. Now, fast forward, we did hybrid this last summer for them. And again, we even blew out the numbers even higher. We ended up with a, like 4.75 or 4.8 um, because we figured out how to even take it to the next level. But now they're going, we'll never go back to the old way. We want to continue to innovate. And so, which is funny now in that organization, we actually have eight other engagements we're doing and all of them are, how do they innovate and continue to change the experience for not just their people, but for their customers, really their students. And that's where we're seeing that in insurance. We're seeing that in retail. It's all about how do we create these superior experiences? The tools enable it, but it's the process and it's the people is really how we drive that. And at the end of the day, that's what we call adoption. Wow. What a great example with measurable results. That's the important yeah. part of it. Uh, but very impressive. And we, we talked about this abundance of software a little while ago. Now, there's so many available software-driven tools, and many of them are focused on how to create greater efficiency in organizations, how to improve workflow, design, and execution. But Steve, what are some of the challenges to try to realize that potential you know, of these amazing software tools? Well, I, the thing that is, is first off is confusion because people have different opinions and they say, well, I, I like this, I like that. And these things, right? If you, if you look up at these productivity softwares, you, you've got ClickUp and Asana and Monday and all these different things. And everybody thinks of the holy grail. I mean, we, we've done that ourselves, right? As a company, as we grow. But the challenge is, is picking one that's good enough and then creating the process around it that everybody can be held accountable. Now, what you do is track going, hey, what are the things we have to have? And if this doesn't have it, let's track those. Now we know when we move to something else, well, that tool is going to give us a superior experience, right? So I'll give you an example, right? If we're building a house, I don't spend my time focused on what is my toolbox? What is it filled with? I figure about, wait a minute, what are we trying to build, right? Okay, we've got the blueprints. Now we've got the house. We're framing it up. Now we're going to do drywall. 
Well, I don't walk in and I say, okay, my hammer is my most important thing. I go, no, no, no we got to do drywall today. What's our process for that? Now I'm going to use a hammer to put the drywall up because I need to use a specific time. Now, what we find is, wait a minute, the hammer isn't quite as efficient. It's taking me longer. So now I'm going to move to a nail gun. Well, okay. But I knew what those things were and I'm able to progress. But if I didn't have the skill with the hammer and understand how to put the drywall up, I was going to be totally ineffective with a, um, with, you know, with a, uh, electric hammer. Right. So that's where we start to think about. So you can start with something, but keep tracking. Don't, don't make it to where it, it's, I've got to stay here forever, especially with SAS. I mean, I can switch pretty easily, but how do you track that and take yourself on a progression, um, or feedback to the manufacturers? Hey, look, here's these features we're missing. Can they get on the roadmap? And then kind of hold them accountable. And if not, it's time for you to move. But as you evolve, make sure that you're taking all of your best practices to the next one. So you're evolving yourself and the tools, not one or the other, because all you could do is create frustration with your team, because a lot of times they don't like change. Um, And so change has to be done in a way that everyone buys into it. So it has to be looked at is we're getting greater value. And that's what we have to do is really track and show that the process of change isn't is the end result is much greater than the pain that we're going to feel in the short Mm -hmm. term. Um, And if we can really help everybody understand that equation, they'll typically come along for the ride. Yeah. And as you're going along that ride, the one constant is the importance of customer focus. And I know that Lyft is all about developing, right, the the methodology and best practice around customer success, optimizing that customer experience. Can you share what some of the great companies that you're aware of, what do they do well with technology that can help them achieve competitive advantage in and around their customer focus? Well, I think the first thing is when we get around our customer focus is first thinking about our customer's customer, right? As we're, you know, we're an insurance company and, and IT is helping them create their plan and how are their agents going to work? Well, that's great. I can drive efficiency for the agents. But if the organization spent the time and, and one that we've worked with has done that, um, thinking about, well, what is the customer experience that we're trying to get to? You know, so as the agent... Yes, that's the customer of the organization, but the customer, the, uh, the ultimate customer of the organization is the client, right? That has been investing the money or buying insurance and doing those things. Well, what's their experience? How do I put, put ourselves into their shoes and how do I create an experience that helps them be efficient? Um, it, it, it's funny, right? If you look at um, you know, some of the banking apps that we have, which are made it easy for us to do self-service. And then they've now got the chat function and you go in and say, okay, great. I got a problem. I go in the chat function, but there's no connection between the app and what I logged in and the person that I'm talking to. And I'm starting all over again and I actually get frustrated as a customer because you actually added more friction to that environment. The whole point of building some of these things into it should have been to take away the friction and so that's what's been happening is, is that we get so excited about these tools and these things, those organizations, is they 
forget that just adding new products and solutions doesn't necessarily mean that it's better. What we've done is we added friction to that entire equation. And so the really thing, the companies that are doing this extremely well, what they're looking at is how do we remove the friction from our customers and our ultimate customers, right, that pay our bills? And how do I do that? And the more I do that, I can win against our competition and do that. And where we're seeing that being wildly successful is... um, Again, insurance business, we're seeing that with some universities. We're seeing that with some governments, surprisingly enough. We actually have a couple of governments we're working with, and they're all about removing the friction for the citizens. And they're having amazing results, um, really, really transforming the way they're delivering services to their citizens. And that's where we start seeing that. We're seeing that with some uh, tech companies one of the things I've been seeing a lot with some of the tech companies is they're still so focused on them in what they're doing. And customer success is all about consumption. How do we get the customer to consume more? We think about customer success. It really should be about how is the customer driving success? And it, it, it's funny because we talk about it and we say, look, you know, it, it, customer success inside of a software company is actually a misnomer because it's hard for us to drive the success. What we should be enabling is the organization should actually have their own customer success, which is how do they achieve success themselves to their end customer and where are all the inputs that help support that? Because again, it takes an ecosystem. It's going to take not just one software product. It takes five or 10 to come do that. Now, Salesforce is doing a fantastic job of trying to bring things all under one roof. But at the end of the day, you're still going to need an ecosystem because there isn't still there's not one size fits all that you can run an entire company on. You still need a you know a, a combination. And so, how do we do that from an organization perspective? That's really what customer success is: is how do we enable our people to do the right processes to help our end customer? Um, and the software organization should be looking at like, how do we plug into that and help enable mm-hmm. that better versus how do I just focus on getting you to consume more? Um, and I think that's where I think the big opportunity is, is how to take a leadership role, help facilitate that combination, that ecosystem and drive success. And you'll win more over time doing that versus myopically thinking about how to get you consume more of my stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's mm-hmm. where I see a lot of customer success focus today is really focused on my stuff versus what you're trying to achieve. And that's the big shift. And the companies that do that, it's radical changes for them from a revenue perspective, um, from a customer retention perspective. And that's where we see the big change coming. Yeah. And when you think about harnessing ecosystems and the power of enablement, where do you think the C-suite comes in? So in these organizations, Steve, how important is getting aligned senior executive buy-in to make the technology adoption experience even better. Yeah, I think it's it's really, you know, one of the things we talk about, again, back into people power growth is how do you align the boardroom and the break room? And what we found is there's a really big disconnect still today between what the strategy of the organization is and what people do day to day. And we actually have a patent pending methodology that really addresses this and measures an organization's ability to execute strategy. But it's about how do we keep those two in alignment? And I think 
the biggest thing we're finding with the C-suite is how do you have a strategy, but now how do you communicate that in a way that everyone buys into it and wants to participate? And so there's this new education that we're doing is looking at the strategy as we talk to the C-suite and say, okay, what are the results you want to get from that? And then as we start working with departments and the different groups, you're saying, okay, here's the outcomes. Are the things you guys are working on, are they addressing that? Do they align to any of these? And where there's a gap is coming back and saying, look, are these things you still should be doing or are we measuring the wrong things? And so I think there's this new realization that the C-suite is saying, look, how do I push forward growth? But at the same time, how do I enable my teams to be successful? And so once we get that buy-in, it really, really grows. And, and again, I'll, I'll share another example we did with a customer right around this, which was as we're doing these workflow designs and helping them with the process is we had buy-in from the C-suite. And they said, look, we, we want to go forward. We'll go do this. And so we worked with one group. And then that group referred us to three other groups. And all of a sudden, we're working with four different groups in, in the group. And when we went back to the executive to say, hey, look, here's what we're doing, they had actually no idea. They were well, wait a minute. We had no idea this was growing organically. And now they're flipping their strategy going, wait a minute. This is the way we should be talking to all of our people. And now the C-suite is actually changing their conversation to how do they enable their teams. And there's much more alignment. And we're actually seeing a lot less waste in the organization and a lot more productivity resulting in that for them to reach the goals. And so there's this continuous education back and forth, but the closer we can get the boardroom and the break room, right? The, the, you know, where the work's being done and where the strategy is being set, the closer we can keep those in alignment and get to a common set of KPIs, um, the actually the healthier the organization is going to be. And we're seeing some great success around that. Yeah, thanks for sharing those really relevant examples. You know, just thinking through the layers in an organization, that boardroom <laughs> to break room, and that can be a a perilous route, as you and I know, in a large organization. But uh, when it happens, when it all comes together, it is indeed powerful. And in a world that we continue living in that has so many unknowns, there might be a lot of reasons to not be confident or be pessimistic, but Steve, when you look to the future, given all that, though, what makes you optimistic? Well, what, I, what I'm so optimistic about is that, again, the trends that we started um, tracking and looking at that we thought were really, you know, 5, 10, 20 years out. Um, and I was actually probably a little optimistic in some of the things I thought were 10 years out. They were probably 20 years out. We got a chance to experience some of those through the pandemic. Um, and it really changed... Um, kind of the thinking. And so I think what we found is people that were not really um, technology centric had to start to learn new things overnight. And I think that gave us a new foundational base that we can build on top of. And so what makes me really optimistic is that we now have a... Uh, I, you know, I would say a citizenry that has a base level of, of digital knowledge. Now, we did leave some people behind, and it's really unfortunate. And we've been working with some other groups that are trying to, how do we continue to, to bridge the digital divide? And I don't think um, that we're there yet, right? But I think that we did get a lot of people 
to get better. And so I think what now what we're doing is now we can start to build on that foundation and actually make it healthier from where we go. Um, I also think too, is that people have skepticism around technology. Then we get, you know, as you heard Zoom fatigue and some of the other things were going on, how do we balance those things? And so I think now people are getting point where we balance this in a much better way. And so I'm really optimistic because I think we've got a foundation we can build on. We've got new processes going forward. We've blown up a lot of traditional organizations. And so we have to now think differently. And so as we go into those latent progressive and progressives I mentioned before, um, what we're going to find is them creating new business models. And those business models are going to stick. And it's going to help them be more profitable. It's going to help them really rethink of their business. But I also think we're going to be wider spread that the things that we did in silos are going to be less so. And we're going to start to blend this. And we'll get to this point where we really have a digital organization that's not just, okay, well, I have physical plant and I've got digital plant. We're going to start seeing these things merge. And we're going to see the experience for the employees as well as the customers merge and create um, new value. So I, I'm really optimistic because I think we're hitting the beginning of this new S-curve um, that's going to take off. Um, we've seen it, but I think we've paused a little bit as we come back out of it. And I think we're now ready to go to the next thing. The, the example I give on that, right, is then when we had the, you know, the dot-com at the end of the 90s, then we had the dot-bomb in, you know, 2000, 2001. Um, well, that just corrected everything goes back to a base level. I mean, look at where we are today where we're just stock markets blowing up and everything's going digital and great. Well, we had to have that in order to build on top of that. Well, that's what we just did is the pandemic got us to this base level. Now we're going to, we're going to reset and now we're going to build on top of that and we're going to do nothing but get better. And so that's why I'm optimistic about is because I think we've got lots of great opportunities ahead of us that we just can't even imagine or we thought about but now we're pulling forward um, because we now have the base level understanding that we can all work together on. Yeah, it's cyclical and the mm -hmm. picture you paint is very exciting and we're on that upswing, that rebuild back. So really relevant example. And as we start wrapping up our conversation, Steve, do you have any other final suggestions for leaders that are looking to develop and optimize what technology can bring to their organization and achieve that long-term growth? Yeah. I mean, I think the key thing is, is looking at, first off, what do you want to achieve, right? What are you really trying to get to as an organization? Um, and then what are the tools that will enable that? Now, again, don't look at it and say, look, I, this is a one-time purchase and I'm never going to change. You say, look, no, 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 this is an evolution. So we're going to start here but let's continue to get feedback. Let's work with everybody and let's version it over time. And one of the things we really talk with customers about is saying, look, what you want to do is you want to create versions. So we create a version dot five or a version dot one, just like software, but our process is versioned. And then we move on to the next version. As we take all this new input, let's put it into place. And now let's create, here's the next version we're coming out with 2.0. How do we now improve that process? It does a couple of things. One is it signals to your employees that you're not, okay, this isn't the way it's going to be forever. Number two is they have the ability to give you input 
to improve what that next level is. And you have a process, you're listening to that input and you'll put it into action. And so the same way software is done, process should be done the same way. How do we start to think about that? And how do we bring people into that conversation? Um, and then I think you'll use tools more efficiently to go achieve that. But what you're going to be doing is you're going to be aligned to what the KPIs are that you need to achieve in the organization and making sure you're hitting those success metrics. And so everything's working together as a system. Um, and that's what I think is the, the big power and the big upside. And I'm just, I'm really excited to see where organizations are able to take that. And what we'll find too, is that we're going to enable people that were sometimes left behind within the organization because they didn't have the role. Um, they didn't, weren't looked at as an executive or a leader, but we start to give them a voice that can see, help us see the blind spots we have and find new things that we never could do before. And that's where I think that, you know, this whole power is going to be is we're going to really start to flatten organizations uh, in new ways as we focus more on strategy and how do we bring everybody together for success. So I think it's, I think it's fantastic where we're going to go. It's fascinating. We're just part of one big interconnected system, right? Of people, tools, technology, but it's, but it's all, if you step back and look at it, it's all just one living, breathing, growing system over time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Steve, thanks again for coming on and sharing your perspective. Uh, this is so timely and great examples and giving us all confidence that we're going to continue to see powerful innovation and then better enablement inside of organizations. Yeah, absolutely. I just think it's going to be fantastic. So thanks, Dan, for having me on. I really appreciate it. It's so great to connect with you again. Um, I just, you know, it's been so fun to watch your career and everything else, but it's uh, been fun to you know, have you as a friend all these years and for us to stay connected. So thank you for this opportunity. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. And a reminder to everyone to make sure to continue to give us the power and the positivity of your feedback, uh, constructive advice. We want to continue to make this podcast even better. You can easily go out and rate and review uh, on all the major platforms, including Apple and Spotify. And then also make sure to visit marketimpactnow.com for the latest in business leadership perspectives. So long until next time.